0: Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> I got a confession. I was in the kitchen just now, and uh, Harold can vouch for this. Harold was coming around the corner, and I was getting ready. I was trying to scoop some water in. I, like, <clears throat> you know, I had a little something in my throat, and I'm, I'm trying to scoop a handful of water out of the sink, and all of a sudden, I realized it's time for me to come up and preach. So, uh, forgive me if I seem a little disheveled, uh, more than normal anyway. Um, <laughs> I was at the trough, but anyway. Luke chapter 7. Welcome to all of our visitors. Glad you're here at Community Baptist Church today. It's great to look out and see new faces, so welcome. Uh, we hope that you'll consider making Community Baptist home. Uh, we have some great things coming up. This is uh, sort of, a, the, the, kind of the quietness, I don't want to say before the storm, but next week it's going to pick up. We've got our Awanas kicking off next week, uh, the kids' program on Sunday night. Then we've got our teen program that also kicks in full speed next week, um, uh, new Sunday school classes. So I uh, hope you get some rest tomorrow, Labor Day, and plan on coming back in next week. Uh, looking forward to an exciting weekend. So please, church, be in prayer for that. There's a, there's a lot getting ready to kick in. And uh, listen, unless the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. So pray. Pray that God's going to just stir some hearts and uh, that we'll also see new faces, new folks coming in and being a part of what God's doing here at Community. Excited about it. Uh, Also keep in the forefront of your prayers, the Apologetics Conference coming at the end of the month. We're in September and so we have our yearly conference and uh, some of you have heard already Dr. Richard Land uh, will be our keynote speaker on Friday night. Uh, voted by Time Magazine as one of the top 25 most influential evangelicals uh, in in the world today. So excited about having him here in the big town of LaGrange. And it uh, should be a great uh, great evening. I, I, I've never personally heard him speak, but I've heard great things. Uh, and so we're looking forward to that. Be in, be in prayer for that, please. Look in your Bible. Uh, we're in Luke 7, continuing through our Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. And we pick up today in verses 19 and through 35. And that's where we're going to be looking at. I've entitled today's sermon, Are You the Coming One? Are You the Coming One? And we'll see that title uh, directly here in today's text. But before we delve into that text, uh, on a personal note, and I think it illustrates... Uh, I know it feeds into this. It's just amazing how God works in our life. And this is one of the reasons why I like a book study. Is because when you're going through a book study and there's text that's dealing with your life circumstances, it's just a reminder of this is the living Word of God. And it ministers to us where we are. And uh, just been encouraged. Um, most of you know. Uh, My uncle was killed last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, in a motorcycle accident. He and my aunt, and many of you have been asking how are they doing uh, as far as my aunt and the rest of the family. Um, Aunt's recovering. She's still in the hospital at Chapel Hill. Uh, So we continue uh, to ask for your prayer support. Uh, There's still no funeral arrangements that have been made. Uh, The family wants to wait until uh, my aunt Carolyn is physically and emotionally strong enough. uh, And so please continue to to pray for them. My my intention is to go back to the hospital. We've been several times already. Had some good visits, some good discussion, uh, good prayer time with the family. But God's being magnified, even through a tragedy like this. Um, It's just amazing when you see God at work. And one of the things that the family is facing... uh, I can see it in talking with them. Some of them, their faith is actually strengthened. And yet I see others wavering, doubting. And one of the things I've tried to encourage them is it's okay, guys. It's okay to ask questions. In fact, the question most of you would ask and I would probably ask, why? My uncle had actually uh, walked away uh, from the church, if you will, uh, when his son was killed in an automobile accident at age 16. Uh, some of you have lost a child, and you know what it's like to lose a child, but can you imagine, 16 years old, losing a son in an automobile accident. And that devastated my family. Uh, in fact, my, my uncle and my aunt, it, it drove a wedge in the marriage. They kind of uh, pulled apart for a while, um, They were a faithful, prior to, faithful, church-going family, loved the Lord. It was evident in their life. Their breakdown is just like my family. Oldest is a daughter, then there's a son, then there's a daughter and a daughter. And so this was the only son. And uh, my uncle had a hard time dealing with that. And for probably about 20-some years, uh, he stayed in that place. My wife and I had the opportunity to witness to him when he was having a quadruple bypass surgery years ago, which was a shock because if you looked at my Uncle William, I mean, he, he seemed like a healthy, uh, healthy man. But um, through all of that, I received word, one of my prayers when I got the call was, where's my, where's my uncle, spiritually speaking? You know, I didn't have that, I didn't know. I knew we'd witnessed to him. I knew he had been raised in the truth. But I also know he'd walked away for a while. And I wasn't sure. And so one of the first things that really weighed on my heart was, God, I, I don't, you don't have to give me this answer. But boy, I sure would love to know his spiritual condition. Where was he? Spiritually speaking. Well, God answered that prayer. I found out that in December of this past year... Um, he had returned to the Lord, he had actually developed a great friendship with the pastor of the church that they uh, were attending. His wife had stayed intact for, for all those years and he actually had had joined back in and and was actually beginning to grow in the lord and um, and so that was very comforting uh, for for us to know but I share all of that to, to number one, to update you and, and to also to continue to ask for the prayers for my family and for my aunt. But I also see that here we are at a text in the Scripture where someone else is doubting, questioning, wondering. And you know what? Let's be honest. We all do at times, don't we? We question And that's okay, because I don't find anywhere in Scripture where God's upset with honest, sincere questions. And so I want to encourage you today, I don't know where you are in your walk, I don't know where you are in your struggle, I don't know where you are in your circumstances. But I want to let you know, it's okay to ask God the questions. But if you're going to ask the questions... I beg you to be sensitive to hear the answer. Look, if you would, in the text, Luke 7, verse 19 and following. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? When the men had come to Him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, He cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind, He gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who was not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed? Shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Father, I pray this morning that you just allow me uh, to share your message. I pray, Lord, that you remove any distractions, obstacles uh, in my thinking. Lord, that I would be a conduit of your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word would have free course that it would go forth unhindered. Uh, Lord, I pray for the listening hearts, that they would be open and attentive to the Spirit of God. And Lord, I pray that you just convey your truth, your message, that it might bring encouragement today uh, to those listening, that it might draw a sinner to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would just speak in our midst, teach us today, Lord, draw us near to you as you draw near to us. We'll praise you in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, thus far in the Gospel of Luke, has been establishing his identity. He's been showing folks who he is. He's the Messiah. And yet today we come to a text, and it's very interesting. There's a recount. We kind of get back into the scene of the life of John the Baptist, Remember, he's been thrown into prison and he's currently being held and will eventually uh, see his death through execution, through beheading. You know the story. I don't want to recap. We've actually talked about that in previous messages. But it's interesting because here's John the Baptist, a relative, if you will, cousin of Jesus Christ, no doubt has heard the stories when he was a kid, About Jesus? No doubt, uh, he has witness. He baptized him at the Jordan. He pointed him out to everyone else and said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist. I mean, this is John the Baptist. The greatest prophet there ever was. And yet, now he's in prison... And he's doubting, it seems. He sends his disciples, who, by the way, have been coming and going and telling him everything that Jesus has been doing. We see this in the text. But on this one occasion, John the Baptist says, "Um, go and ask Jesus, is he he the coming one or or do we... Do I need to look for somebody else? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is the same one who's been full of the Holy Spirit since the mother's womb, right? Well, I don't know about you, but as today's text unfolds, I trust that you will find great encouragement in John's dilemma. Because I think there's some great truth here that we need not miss. And especially for any of you out there who are facing a circumstance where you're wondering where God is. Notice, if you would, um, uh, the text again. Let's break this down, if we can, line by line, verse by verse. Precept upon precept. All right. Notice... If you would, uh, let's back it up to 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. See, there it is. They've been going to John in prison and reporting to him all these things. What things? All the things Jesus has been doing. And what has Jesus done so far? Well, remember he went into the synagogue and he read from the scroll of Isaiah and then he talked about, today in your midst this is fulfilled. And there was an outcry from everybody in in the synagogue. Some thought he had demons. Well, by the way, he did also cast out some demons, did he not? We've also seen him up to this point. He's also raised the dead. Okay? Um, Not a lot of other folks going around doing that. You know, I don't care what Benny Hinn says. He has never done that. I'm just saying. Um, But here we know that Christ has not only done these things. He hasn't done it in secret. He's done it in the open. The lame? Hearing to the deaf? I mean, Jesus has been doing a lot of things. These disciples of John the Baptist reported to John the Baptist concerning all these things, verse 19, and John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? By the way, this uh, word here, the coming one, is sometimes translated expected one. Notice it's actually, uh, in my Bible, it's capitalized. I hope it's capitalized in yours. If not, you can write over the top of it. Because this is actually a messianic title. So, John is asking, Are you the Messiah? It's the Greek word, Ha'achamanias. Boy, you love the way I said that one, didn't you? I just butchered the Greek language, but that's okay. I butchered the English language too. Uh, it's a title for the Messiah. Archimeneus also echoes the Septuagint version of Habakkuk 2.3. Listen to this. Uh, in Habakkuk 2.3 it reads, Though he should tarry, wait for him, for he will surely come. Archimeneus. It's the same word. It also uh, is found in Revelation 1.8 and 4.8. God is known as, quote, the one who is, the one who was, and the Coming One. This is a title used throughout Scripture. So when John the Baptist is asking, Are you the Coming One? It's a very specific question. Are you God incarnate? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's going to deliver the people? The psalmist identifies Him as the Coming One several times throughout the psalm. Specifically, Psalm 118.26 says, Blessed is the Coming One who comes in the name of the Lord. So John is asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the long-awaited Savior, the Deliverer of Israel? Why do you think John's asking this question? I've got a pretty good reason why he's asking this question. I mean, if John the Baptist, the, the greatest prophet... Has been sitting in prison, by the way, at this point, he's probably been sitting in prison almost ten months. He's been there almost a year. He's being held in the castle of uh, Marcaris. Um, you remember he was sent there uh, because he didn't approve of a certain marriage. This took place probably around 34 um, BC. Herod Antipas, remember, his brother's uh, former wife. John the Baptist had a lot to say about that, didn't he? Which eventually is what cost him his head. But that's why he's in prison. So here he is in prison for almost 10 months. Um, He is the voice in the wilderness. By the way, he's the prophet, this is kind of interesting, he's the prophet who was prophesied about. He's the prophet who was prophesied about. He's the one who's preparing the way for the Lord. The Lord, he was the voice out in the wilderness. He is the one out there calling people to repentance because of the broken religious system of the day. And many people had gone out to hear John the Baptist because they knew he was telling the truth. They knew the, the system was broke. But yet, here John the Baptist sits in prison for 10 months. But Jesus, I, I, I thought you were supposed to, according to the Old Testament prophets, you're supposed to set the captives free, the prisoners free. But I'm in prison. I mean, I could imagine John's having a bit of a struggle with this. You know, he's not alone. Go back through your Bible. Did Abraham ever have struggles and questions? God had given Abraham some promises, but uh, Abraham wasn't quite understanding things, tried to work it all out in his own way, didn't he? His wife doubted quite a bit too. That's why she offered up her handmaiden. You know? What about Moses? What about David? Read you Psalms. How long? How long, O Lord? How, how long is my soul going to be downcast within me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Original words penned by David. Spoken by Christ on the cross. Sometimes when we're in circumstances, let's be honest, when we're in the midst of storms, we're in the midst of circumstances, it's tough, isn't it? And sometimes our flesh, we lose focus. We begin to doubt. And you find that throughout Scripture. Great men and women of faith have had honest questions. They've struggled sometimes with doubt. But if you also pay attention through the stories and lives of those that have been written down in Scripture for me and you, they've been written as an example to encourage us. Because though you'll hear the psalmist cry out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You'll also see at the end of that passage in Psalms 22 that that the psalmist David knows He's in good hands. He knows that God has not forsaken him. And Christ knew the same too as he hung upon the cross. He also knew in the garden when he prayed the the few nights before, the night before, that not my will be done, thy will be done. Remember the struggle there? If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Even the humanity of Christ is the example that sometimes when we're facing some hardships and some tough times, it's difficult. And it's okay, I think, in those moments to express what we're feeling. But be careful that your feelings aren't dictating to you your faith. And that's what happens too many times. That's why so many people are shaken when storms come into their life because they get their focus on the storms, the circumstances, and they lose their faith, if you will. They lose their focus on where they should keep their focus, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. I love the picture in the overflow room because it illustrates it. Peter, out on the water, he's walking. He's walking on water. Got his eyes on Christ. All of a sudden, oh snap, I'm out of the boat and it's stormy, man. And he starts sinking because he took his eyes off of Christ. He put his eyes on the, the circumstances that surrounded him. And that's what so often happens too many times. That's what we do. And that's what's happening here in the text. I believe John the Baptist, instead of putting his eyes on eternity where they should be, having an eternal perspective, he's almost... I don't want to say maybe having a little bit of a pity party. I can't say I blame the guy. I've never been in the bottom of a prison under a castle under King Herod, chained, getting ready to lose my head. Talk about a bad day, bad ten months. But you know what? There's again, this is written down here, and there's some great truths that we need to see in this text. By the way, I don't want to miss this I want us to I want us to see what was said about this man John the Baptist because uh in this in this text uh, again we need to understand who who this person is. go back for a second over to Luke one, Luke chapter one looking and and by the way, we've already covered this, so I'm not going to expound on it, but i want us I want us to see it again notice what. What God has pinned down about this man, John the Baptist, verse 16, and he will turn away, and he, I'm sorry, he will turn many, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what's said about this man. He no doubt knew his calling. But now, ten months later in prison, hearing what Jesus is doing, wondering, no doubt. You see, there's another problem going on here that also happens in your life and my life sometimes. If we're not careful, we start to get a Jesus of our own imagination. Well, I thought Jesus was supposed to come in and overthrow Rome. I mean, isn't He supposed to be bringing in the kingdom? I mean, this is no doubt probably John, part of John's struggle. He's probably thinking, you know what, this is, this, if He's the Messiah, why... Why is Rome not being overthrown? Where, you know, Where's this kingdom supposed to be set up? I'm not understanding this. It causes questions and doubt. And sometimes we do the same thing. We kind of expect Jesus to do certain things in our life, and when He doesn't do them, we get maybe a little bitter. You know, one of the things my cousins asked me to talk to one of my other cousins because they were concerned for her that perhaps uh, through this, she she's uh, had bad circumstance happen within the church and so she walked away. And now they're afraid that because of this situation that it's going to maybe cause her to harden her heart even more. And you've seen it. You've experienced that. Maybe some of you have even walked in those shoes for a while. Where if you're not careful because things don't go the way you expect it to go, you feel like, well, God's abandoned me. So I don't want anything to do with Him. Well, how could a loving God let this happen? Or why would God allow that to happen? And you get bitter and you you kind of throw your own pity party and and you start, again, focusing on your circumstances and, and, and focus on you Because let's be honest, that's what's going on. We're being selfish in those situations. Have you ever thought that God's plan isn't your plan? That His way is not your way? I mean, I imagine John the Baptist in prison is thinking some of these thoughts. I mean, he's got a lot of time on his hand to do some thinking, and no doubt Satan is creeping in and causing a lot of thoughts as well. Some of those fiery darts that are being shot. Well, I thought he was supposed to usher in the kingdom. And how long am I going to be in this prison? This bread stinks, and this water's lousy. I don't know. You know, sometimes in our discouraging circumstances, it causes us to forget or doubt who Jesus is. You know, I had a lady come to my office. Uh, years back when I was at Maranatha. Godly lady. And I'll never forget, I, she came into my office and she sat down across from my desk and she was just, I mean, sobbing. Just bawling. I'm, you know, what's, what's wrong? And one of her close family members had died a few weeks earlier. She was dealing with that. And the the family member who had died earlier was a good, godly woman, a strong Christian. And now she had just found out the day before that her son-in-law had uh, terminal cancer. And they were supposed to be going to the mission field. They had surrendered their life to the mission field. So she was in there just sobbing, and she was angry. And she wanted to know, why does God do this? Why would he take the good ones and leave the bad ones, was her interpretation. It's just, it's not fair. Why, why is it that here's somebody who loves the Lord, living for the Lord, and their life's taken, and now here's a young couple who's dedicating their life to go to the mission field, and now he's going to die within a matter of months. And this was a strong, godly woman. And, and from my perspective, I, you know, I was actually surprised that she was sitting in front of me having this conversation. I was thankful that she was sitting in my office having this conversation. And by the way, if you're dealing with some of that internal struggle, I encourage and invite you to come sit across from my desk in my office and please tell me those things. what would you have shared with that lady? What would you have said to that lady? Because if you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to have somebody in your life that's going to sit across from you one day and is going to ask you these kind of questions. In that moment, I listened. She didn't want to lecture. She wanted to vent. I didn't lecture. I listened. I gave her the time cry and let it out. And then as she began to again ask some of these questions, we began to take her focus which was on the circumstances. Do you see where her struggle, she's looking at this and she's looking at that and she's in her own mind thinking how she would do it. And so what we had to do was try to encourage her to look to the author of and finisher of our faith. We had to put our eyes on eternity, not the temporal. And I thank the Lord that through this and through ongoing conversations, she was encouraged and built up in her faith. And so here's John the Baptist, in essence, asking and struggling. And so he sins. And notice, though this is great, who does he turn to? In the midst of his discouragement? He turned to the Lord to get the answer, did he not? I mean, he went to Christ. He sent these guys to Christ. He says, hey, go go ask Him. You want to know where to start? Start with the Lord. You got questions? Ask Him. Ask Him. Notice uh, the following text. We'll, We'll continue on. Verse 20. When the men had come to Him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. There's a pretty good answer, huh? (laughs) Notice um, verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. By the way, if you want a little fancy outline, I can give you one. Point one was the Messiah, verses 19 through 21. And now we're in point two, the message. Notice the message. What's the message Jesus gives to these two disciples of John that come to him? Are you the Messiah? That's your question? (sighs) The very hour. Now, hey, that's how we wish He'd work sometimes on our behalf, don't we? Sometimes, man, let's be honest, we wish God would just heal when it's our family member, when it's our friend, when it's us. But isn't it interesting? Here's the dichotomy. John's in prison. Is he being set free? You know what I think is happening here? I think there's a great... This is God. This is God doing this. Here's Jesus Christ. These guys ask this question. What does Jesus do? He begins to heal. He shares the gospel with the poor. He does everything he came here to do. His mission... His eternal purpose. And I can believe that that message, when it got back to John the Baptist in prison, probably shook him to realize, wait a minute. What am I focusing on? I'm more focused on me than the message. I'm more focused on my problem and not focused on the kingdom of God what I should be focused on. I'm more focused on the temporal, the here and now, than I am the eternal. And I think that probably, no doubt, stirred him in remembrance. And by the way, he does get delivered. He gets the ultimate delivery. I'm sure if you were to ask John, John, do you wish now if you could go back and, uh, you know, would, would you rather have gotten out of prison and stayed here for a while and done all the things that maybe you wanted to do? No. Eternal perspective. You know, this is the same message. I, I love this. Notice the, the, in the text, it says Jesus told them, Go and tell. What did he say? Go and tell. Guess what he told you, church? Go and tell. Look over in Acts. We know this. You know this. You probably can quote this one. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go and tell. Church, you know what part of our problem is today in America, good old America, and the American church is we're too focused on me. We're too focused on my circumstances. We're too focused on our problems. And we've lost perspective. And we need to get our eyes back on the eternal. We need to realize what the message is. And we need to go and tell. Are you convinced He's the Messiah? Are you convinced that He's the Savior of the world? Are you convinced that He's the one that changes lives? Are you, the, are you convinced that he, he allows people through His grace to go from death into life? well then go and tell what you've seen and what you've heard. This is the one about whom it's written. You know, we think about this this situation that's going on. And it, I, I, I think it resonates. It, it should, I think it hits close to all of us. I mean, here's a man who's sitting in prison. It was prophesied about, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way. You know, this is, uh, MacArthur says this is not just a prophet. This is, this is the prophesied prophet who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And yet he doubts in this moment of weakness. And don't fault him. You you have moments of weakness. I have moments of weakness daily, don't we? There's 400 years of no prophet. Nobody's spoken for God for 400 years. And all of a sudden, you know, here's John the Baptist. Saying, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. And I'm pointing to the Messiah. And there he is. Battling with self. Now, in the moment, losing focus. Well, look at the third and final point, verses 31 through 35, the messengers. Notice what happens after, after this text. Uh, you'll notice Jesus began to do the healing. And um, he says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me, verse 23. Don't want to miss that because there's a great number of people that had been offended by his message, had they not? There were many Pharisees that were following Christ, looking for ways to criticize and critique and uh, finding fault. And uh, they were obviously very offended. Those that reject the message... But here's these messengers. Verse, verse 24, When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. Well, isn't it a good thing he didn't speak about John while they were still there? Because what would that have done, potentially? think it would have built up, uh, magnified the Savior, maybe edified the flesh a little. Anyway, he waited until till they were gone. And then he began to speak to the multitude concerning John. But notice what he says about John. Notice what he says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's asking all these people. A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously uh, apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes! I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Let me stop there. Wow. That's... That's the Lord and Savior speaking those words about who John is. I wonder what he's saying about our story. I wonder what he's going to say in that day. You know, John the Baptist, think about what John the Baptist was doing. Put it in context. He's calling people out of the religious system. I mean, people were leaving the religious establishment and going into the wilderness. And here's this, you know, camel skin guy eating some bugs. He wasn't exactly, you know, the epitome of good religion. The good religion of the day were those that were decked out in their fancy robes and and the rich, because remember, hey, if you had a lot of money and you were wealthy, then you must have God's favor. The poor were shunned. The sick were outcast. And yet, this is who John's reaching. And John himself looks like one of them. And he didn't mince words. He was calling them to repentance. And you know what else was a blasphemous thing in the religious eyes? He was actually baptizing people. And this was a form of a a technique that was used in proselytizing Gentiles. Those dogs of society. And yet, this was the mode that was in essence saying, you you people of Israel, you religious folks, you who think you're in good standing with God, I got news for you. You're not. And you need to repent. You need to go through the uh, same process, if you will, that the Gentiles are going through to get right with God. And then again, this is just a call to prepare the way for the Messiah. And there were many who knew John was a messenger of God. And no doubt, these are the ones that are now listening to the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ. So they've gathered. Well, notice, uh, notice what else is said here in the text. He, he says that there's those born of a woman, there's none greater prophet than John the Baptist. I mean, that's a, man, that's a tall order, isn't it? I mean, that's, you know, you think about all the prophets of old. Well, what makes him greater? Well, I think it's greater in the sense that he was the one who had the privilege of actually seeing the Messiah. None of the other prophets did, other than in visions and dreams and, and knowing about the coming one. They were able to tell about the coming one, the Messiah, the coming one, the expected one, the coming one. He's coming, he's coming. And then finally you get to John the Baptist and he says, there he is. That's a great privilege. Wow. But you know what's greater than that? The fact that you, in the church age, in a new covenant, under a new covenant, because, by the way, he was the close out of the old covenant. Right? Now there's a new covenant in the blood of Christ. Here is grace now getting ready to extend across the church age. And guess what? Believer, that's what he means when he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You are greater than John the Baptist in the sense of positionally, you're in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sin if you've turned to Christ, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Positionally, you are in Christ. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God. They rejected the will of God. For themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken this men of this generation? And what shall they are they like? They are like little children, sitting in a marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We mourned to you, you didn't weep. Well, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. He wasn't doing either. And you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Wisdom is justified by all her children. What's he saying here? What is Luke writing here? What does he want us to know? Well, let me just sum it up. Alexander McLaren said it this way. If the message is unwelcome, nothing that the messenger can say or do Will be right. Let me read that again. If the message is unwelcome, nothing that the messenger can say or do will be right. Church, don't count it strange when you go and tell about the Messiah and you, as a messenger, are delivering that message. If they reject the message, they reject the will of God for themselves. And that's what was being talked about here. These Pharisees and lawyers, these religious people of the day, they rejected what John the Baptist was doing. But there were many who were responding and receiving. And that's no different in our day. When you go out proclaiming He is the One, and when you take that message of hope, when you take the gospel to the world, there are some people... That do not like your message because they've got a God in their image or they're in pursuit of a lie. They have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. But you know what? That's not on you. You're simply a messenger taking a message. And you need to be faithful in delivering that message. So, we close with this. You you look at this text, and you see this last phrase here that that we closed out in. But wisdom is justified by all our children. I mean, think about it. John the Baptist did it this way. Jesus did it the other way. And they still condemn both. Why? Because they're hard-hearted and they're critical. Ever meet anybody like that? You just can't do nothing right. (laughs) <laughs> well, they got the gift of encouragement, don't they? And so but, but Jesus says here in this closing statement, he says, But wisdom is justified by all our children. You know, I'm reminded of um, Proverbs twenty seven seven. The full soul loatheth an honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, Every bitter thing is sweet. Let me read that again because well I want to tell you why you chew on that. That's some good stuff. Listen to this. The full the full soul loatheth a honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Guys, I know there's some bitter things in your life. There's some hard stuff that you're going to face. Some of you are in a prison of your own sort. Some of you are dealing with death of a loved one. Some of you've had your faith shaken and some of you will have your faith shaken. But let me encourage you. This is not our home. This is temporal. Get your eyes on eternity. You want to know is Jesus the coming one? Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's done. Look at what he did. And think about what he's going to do. He's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. Give him time to work in your circumstances. But you have a responsibility to keep your eyes on eternity. Not your will be done. His will be done. Conclusion, Jesus is the Messiah. In the midst of your doubts, ask Him. Make your concerns known to Him. Get your eyes off your circumstances and back on the Savior. Live with an eternal perspective. Share the message you have seen and heard. That's your testimony. You know what God's done in your life. Share it. Be a messenger of the gospel, whether others receive or reject. You are called to be a witness. Let's pray.